So this morning is Sunday, it's October 31st, 2010. We put this message on the internet just like the previous 600 or so. I encourage you to share your faith with the people that are around you. Go meet your neighbors. Go talk to people in Walmart. You are men and women of divine appointment. This means wherever you go, as you are led by the Holy Ghost, people are having an opportunity to interact with living epistles. Those are not apostles' wives. Those are the letters that men wrote by God's Holy Spirit. And your lives speak that very same message. It's important that we be the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. That is an important thing. Too long the church has been a circle that is simply a bless me group. How can I get rich? How can I do this? How can I? It, it basically should have a big sign out front that says, me. The first church self, me. Okay? This is not our desire. Our desire in the body of Christ is to be centrifugal, to spin outwards, to take the gospel from the hometown that we're in out towards the nations, starting with your neighbors. This is from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. When you have met the authority of God, it will radiate outward. I want to encourage you to do that. Wednesday, we heard a message from Brother Mike, uh, Michael Hutchinson. His uh, message was excellent. It had to do with romance and Jesus. And I, I, I thought it was a beautiful picture. It touched my heart in many ways. I want to dovetail with a scripture that he used. It's one that I actually, ironically, wrote to my wife in, on one of our anniversaries. She framed it and we put it on our wall. It's Proverbs 25.2. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. There is something beautiful when there is still some mystery involved. There is something beautiful when you catch a glimpse and know that there's more and you're left to desire it, to seek it out. This is a way that God can hide facets of Himself and only those who are hungry for Him will seek it and find it. And when you find something you've been looking for, friends, it's a treasure. It is a treasure. This proverb has been close to my heart for many years. I believe that you'll see ways in which it ties into our message today. Turn with me to Exodus 25. There will be a lot of scripture given today. That's because Jesus is the Word and there is no better way to present Him than there. through His Word. <laughs> if you're looking simply to do your hour and get out, I want to tell you right now, you won't be happy with us. If what you want with all of your heart is to grow closer to Him, to become a student of the Word, to invite His power into your life to change it, well, then this very well may be the body for you. The Holy Spirit is working to draw people into the places they can be discipled. Discipleship is short in the American church, and crowd attendance is huge. What happens is people come and sit and are entertained and may be a part on a small level, but their lives don't become intertwined. They don't become intertwined with God. They're like men who go to a movie, and they all enjoy that it was a good movie. I believe that the God of our fathers is drawing us closer. I believe that the God of Israel is forming a unique holy nation with Gentile graftans in the Jewish nation. I believe He's calling you to become a community of believers. And the very first thing that has to happen is people must be discipled. When they're discipled, He can choose from them workers for the fields. But if we're never discipled, we never start at the starting line. Here comes Exodus 25, starting in verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. It's an interesting thing that God says here. He says, I want you to make something 
and I will dwell among you. This word in Hebrew is shekan. It's really different from some other words that could be used. Yasab is another Hebrew word that means live. If I ask BJ, hey man, where do you live? He says, I live in Baton Rouge. This means he has proximity to Baton Rouge. He resides in an area that is called Baton Rouge. But when you say that you shikan, the word that's used here, dwell, it means that I am intertwined in a very permanent way with something. God wanted the people to make a sanctuary according to a pattern that he would show them. In other words, if I'm going to come and be permanently intertwined with you, it must be done my way. It must be done according to a pattern I will show you. Much of what we read in the books of the law, much of what we read in all of the revelation of God has to do with Him laying down a pattern. And it repeats over and over and over so that maybe if woodworking is not your thing, but metalworking is, or music is, or a romantic story is, the same pattern is being laid down in all of those genres so that God might make His appeal to all men through Christ. This means that when we look at the Word, it eyes to see something is being revealed to those that are searching. God wants to be intertwined with you. In Numbers 35, don't turn there. I want to read you this. It's 35, verse 34. I gave you a, a bulletin you can put notes in. Here's a way these two words are set opposed to each other. Do not defile the land where you live. That's yourself. <laughs> the way we'd say it in today's vernacular is where you stay. Don't, don't defile the land where you stay and where I dwell. Shekinah. God is saying, I have a permanent intertwining with the land and nation of Israel. You guys are just staying here. Don't dirty it up, okay? Because you live here, but it belongs to me. God is saying to the church today, I want to become intertwined with you. Amen. I didn't give you our message title today, by the way. It's getting hammered. I know that sounds worldly, doesn't it? Because the way that we usually hear this is, dude, somebody drank too much. They really got hammered. Maybe, if you're a UFC <coughs> fan, you heard that Brock Lesnar recently got hammered, right? One <laughs> <laughs> UFC fan in here. <laughs> That's okay. It's not a bad thing. In the kingdom, hammered is a great thing. And I'll show you why. It's not the world they use. There is a process that God puts His people through that intertwines His nature with ours. And to the flesh, it's unpleasant. It's called the breaking of the outer man. But to the spirit, it is liberating. Turn with me to Exodus 37. What I hope you got from the last verse is that God wants to shikan with you. He wants to permanently intertwine His life with your life, not just be in proximity to you. Uh, I hope that you noticed that there was a pattern given to Moses. And if the pattern was given, it must be important. Now I want to read to you out of Exodus 37, starting in verse 1. Y'all are there? Bezaleel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out. And he made gold mounting around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he inserted the poles into the rings and on the sides of the ark to carry it. He made an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Then he made two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. 
He made one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. At the two ends, he made them one piece with the cover. Well, go back and read that sometime. The cherubim had their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim faced each other, looking towards the cover. To show you a few things that are in this passage, and then we will hopefully expand on them in a way that shows you Jesus and the process He's putting us through. Hammered gold. This is an amazing thing. Everything in this description has to do with gold and has to do with acacia wood. I've been to Israel a few times, and the last time I was there for about a month. One thing that you notice, kind of like when you're in the Texas Hill Country, there's mesquite trees everywhere. When you get out into the dry places that most of God's people live, I don't want to teach on the geography today, but there's a mountain range that runs north to south in Israel. The western side of the mountain range is fertile. On the eastern side, it's mostly dry and difficult to live in. 300 of the 350 cities that you can go put your finger on on the map as biblical cities where God's people came from are on the dry side. You know who lived on the other side, the fertile side? The Philistines, right? <laughs> That's an amazing thing. God puts his people in dry, difficult places because it teaches us to trust him and that our provision didn't come out of the ground. It came from the God who made the ground. This is that purpose. You see acacia trees everywhere. They're called desert air conditioners for a reason. When there is a strong breeze in an area, it carries the seeds, the germination from one acacia tree to another. So you often see them in rows, although they were not planted by any man. The breeze that sweeps through an area plants them, kind of like the wind of the Spirit planted you here today, hopefully. Then when you look out, they form kind of an umbrella. It's an interesting thing. They cast a shade. Not only is there a breeze, but it has a thick canopy that is like an umbrella. So if you sit under them, you're guaranteed a gentle breeze and you're guaranteed shade from the desert sun. To the outside, they really are something nasty to look at. They have giant thick thorns everywhere. It might look like death from the outside, but when you're in it, it is life-preserving and protecting. You go through a narrow opening in one side, you can be pretty sure nothing's going to sneak up on the backside and bite you. For this reason, the desert people, the agricultural people, and the shepherds love the acacia trees. If you want to use an acacia tree for building, it's as difficult as using a mesquite tree in Texas for building. They're not big, giant trees. You know, I couldn't wait to get to Israel and see this stuff that everything in the temple is made out of. I thought, man, it must be like a live oak. You cut it down and it's dense and it's strong. No, it's not. It looks a lot like mesquite trees or cedar trees. You had to first go strip off that outer outside material, the thorns that were meant to protect it. In several of the species of acacia, it's actually poisonous. Yeah. You don't know anybody that has a tough, thick outer exterior that is somewhat poisonous and thorny. But as God stripped that thing off inside the wood, it's pure and white. It's good for making furniture. Good for doing things. Our God said in Exodus 37, when you want to make the ark, when you want to make these things, I want you to use acacia wood. There's a process for that. Not only does that tree plant itself in difficult places where the wind blows, there's always a water source under an acacia tree because it can't survive without it, and it gets most from roots, not from leaves. So they do something. They burrow down deep into the earth with their roots almost straight down and wrap around rocks. You don't know anybody that was ever firmly rooted in the world and had to be uprooted from it, who had a thick outer exterior that had to be stripped off so something inside and pure 
could be worked with. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Yeah, I never met that man either. Sometimes I see him when I shave in the morning. Next to this 37, we spoke of two cherubs that were intersecting on one cover. Almost as if there were three things that were somehow different and yet somehow interconnected in a way that they could be called one. That's an amazing thing. Kind of a three yet one thing. When this pattern is all put together correctly, it does something. It casts a shadow. This is an important thing. And it's an important thing because all of this is a pattern, like many patterns in the Bible, that can teach us something of the nature of God. Can teach us something about what He's doing with us. Did you see the direction that the gold was laid? Anybody notice it? He said, I want you to overlay this ark with gold inside and then outside. Maybe one of the problems with the church today is we're always looking for gold on the outside and we've never considered that it must start inside. In the Bible, gold is a sign of God's divinity. It's a sign of what He is. Pure, beautiful, costly. And He pours Himself into something that has been properly prepared, uprooted from the world, stripped of its outer adornments that were meant to protect it, vulnerable. And then it begins to work its way out of it. Amazing thing, though. How do you pour gold? Come on, you can talk to me this morning. you got to superheat it. What happens to wood if it's superheated? Our God's a consuming fire. If He were simply to dump all of His nature, all of His character, all of His presence on you, it would burn you up. So He has developed a process called hammering. So He beats His presence into you through series of events. It's not meant to harm the wood. It's meant to protect the wood. It's meant to make the wood beautiful. It's meant to make the wood look like Him. And His hand shaping and forming you allows His nature to bond with your nature. But the direction was inside out. Turn with me to John 14. Come on, the girl is fast. Where are the rest of you? I'm telling you, I need a newer model too. I've, I've got that 2,000 year old one that Paul was carrying. <laughs> Alright, in John 14, let's pick up in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Father, Jesus, and a counselor, kind of a three yet one thing. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. Now these words are not literally Shekan and Yasab because they're recorded in Greek, but you can see the same principle here. You're in proximity to Him now, but He's going to become intertwined with you in a very permanent way. He wants to dwell with you in a way that affects your daily life. And for this to happen, you have to be prepared so that His divinity will stick to your earthliness. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. There is a process by which his presence gets poured into us. By obeying His commands, it shows His presence outside 
of us. This is what we used to say about baptism. I've got something on the inside that now I am showing on the outside. This is God's presence. It is an inward change showing in outward ways. God prepared you in advance to do good works for Him. That is part of the gold outside. But good works without the gold inside are worthless. Worthless. Just the product of a man. I will show myself to Him. This is kind of like that Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. When we are seeking His presence in our lives, when we are seeking our lives to be in His presence, something happens. He begins to show more of Himself to us. You know, what's wrong with the average follower of Jesus today is not that the revelation of God is not big enough, it's that the hunger for God is not big enough. We're ever learning and never doing our level of education has so far exceeded our level of obedience that we don't know what to do anymore. So we form little clubs and talk about whose beliefs are better than the other beliefs and there are no actions to distinguish one from the other. Our king wanted to inlay you with gold so that he could also overlay the outside of you with gold. He wanted you inside and outside to represent his divine presence. Have you ever considered that if God wanted to, he could have dropped a... Uh, a bridge guide to the Bible called in a doctrinal statement out of the sky. Churches take such pride and well, this is what we believe in. Theirs is different. It's based on a preposition. Wars have been fought over these things. When the point of the gospel was Jesus so powerfully working in your life that it showed up on the outside. But when we circumvent the discipleship process, it's easy for a man to take pride in his work over another man. He never knew what it was to become humbled in the presence of God. He never would, knew what it was to become so hungry for God that he would unite with a brother that thought differently than him on a point for something that was greater. You realize people's position on the rapture or no rapture has so separated them that they won't even eat together at times? I could go through every pet issue that the church has, but you already know. And it's not that none of this is important to me. Those of you that know me well know that they're pretty important to me but not so important that we cannot work to be inlaid and overlaid with gold. You know, when you hammer something, you're applying extreme force to a small area, though, aren't you? The work of the Holy Ghost will apply extreme force in a small area of your life. Amen, Michael Hutchinson? Yeah. He will put you in a position, he goes, whoa, let's see, how could I put maximum stress on Nolan to see exactly when he's pressed? Is it pure oil that's coming out, or is there still flesh coming out? Oh, I know. Let's, let's squeeze his house a little bit. Let's move him from this place to another so he has no security blanket. He's got none of the familiar things. He only has me to trust. Kind of like calling a prophet out of the <coughs> desert. Kind of like calling a people out of the <coughs> He will put you into positions that hammer his presence into you. Friends, we should have bumper stickers that say his presence or bust. Instead of California or bust or whatever. I guess that was a hippie thing. People don't do that anymore. <laughs> Matthew 13, 52 is another one. You don't have to turn there. It says, Every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I bet you never thought of the law that way. The law reveals the character of God. So when somebody has been instructed about the kingdom and they're presenting to you facets of the law, it is like bringing treasure out of their house. What an amazing thing, these secret things, these treasured things. 
Have you ever noticed that the very best books in the bookstores, I mean the very best books, are not the ones up front with the famous demagogues' faces on them. They're the ones that nobody wanted, that are being sold for 99 cents, because they're old. I, I can't tell you when the last time I bought a popular Christian book was. But I can tell you, you can go read about the lives of righteous men like Smith Wigglesworth and I mean, you name them. And you can buy their biographies for less than a dollar. These are treasures hidden in jars of clay. This is because the acacia tree looks thorny on the outside, but it's protective and beautiful once you're in it. There is a process that has to happen, and it's the reshaping of our flesh, the reshaping of our lives, so that God's presence will dwell in us and on us and with us and through us and be intertwined. It's interesting to think about this kind of paradox. In this analogy, we are wood overlaid with gold. Think about Jesus. He was pure gold overlaid with wood. <laughs> how about that? Tell me, how difficult was, it to, was the process to show? How difficult was the process to show that he was pure gold through and through? Well, it took the crucifixion of his flesh and the resurrection from the dead. So why is it that the church in the modern age wants to show up at the end of the marathon race, never having sweated for one mile, and say, I'm blessed I've arrived. See, this process of God's divine presence in our life, it involves repentance. It involves the circumcision of our hearts. It involves the circumcision of our ears. We cannot name something and it is simply so. We must remain in something. And whatever He tells us, that is so. See, we've fallen into a dangerous game, the church world. We've carved up the Scripture and given Israel everything that we don't like and given ourselves everything that we do like. Let me think about Americans. More than 75% say they're saved. Say they're Christian. <laughs> but when you ask somebody if their neighbor is saved, more than 50% say no. So how does that work? When the majority believe they're saved, but a majority also believes that their neighbor's not saved. That is a beautiful breeding ground for deception, isn't it? Turn with me to John 15, 4. There is a process. It's the necessity of being overlaid with gold, inside and outside. In John 15, 4, you should just be turning one page. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remaining in Him and Him in you. It can be a fight. How many times have you been in a situation that... Well, let's just roll back to our childhood for a minute. Let's imagine that J.J.'s daddy's got him, right? And J.J. has not really learned to do much besides doggy paddle. Okay? And he's doggy paddling, but he can always touch the bottom and he can always touch the side. So what's dad do? He takes him out into deeper water. Come on, Christians, are you tracking with me? Yeah. Yeah. He takes him out into deeper water, and as long as Daddy is there with both hands on him, he feels great, right? Yeah, Dad, this is cool, but don't let go. Don't let go. I mean, my little girl has got a vice grip on my beard every time I take her into the deep water. If she can't get beard, she gets hair from my chest, right? None of this is pleasant for me. She thinks it's a blast. When you let go and you begin to back away, what happens? Her fear of her surroundings begins to overwhelm her faith that daddy will protect her as he always has. Are you really so much different than J.J. in the analogy or my little girl? <clears throat> Our king 
taking us out into deeper waters because the Psalms say the place to see His wonders is in the deep waters. Amen. The church is trying to figure out how to fish in an aquarium, how to sit on top of a puddle and just be a giant pirate. He is calling us into places we've never been before. This is how He knows that you trust Him. And it's how you know His process of being uh, poured into you is happening. Because you can never do it on your own. If you never get to a place of exhaustion, if you never get to a place of the end of your finances, if you never get to a place that is the end of you, how do you find the beginning of Him? He has a hammering process to put His gold in you and on you. To the world, they look at it and go, why would anyone want to get hammered? But have you never seen a beautiful work of art and considered what it was before? Right. How do you release Michelangelo's David? You have to knock off all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be there. Right? Everybody else would just look like a chunk of marble. If you're the chunk of marble sitting around with some other marble, dude, why do you want to let him carve on you like that? Because in the end, you believe that the artist is making something with the creation that is beautiful. Why have you submitted to the process? Because he's making something beautiful. What happens if Michelangelo quit halfway through? Or while the statue of David was just beginning to show a nose, it ran off. You might have our traditional church set. Just enough to be a form of godliness, but have no heart. No, it's just not there. Well, only talk about healing as long as you're way over there and I'm up here, but don't roll up in a wheelchair. Right. We'll visit you in the hospital to say goodbye, but that's it. Right? We serve a king who wants to be powerful and present in your life. Some have figured this out and made him their genie. He will do what I say when I say. Friends, you get embarrassed with like that. Mm-hmm. He's not a formula. He's not a mathematical uh, equation. It is a relationship. He wants to be in you, wants you to be in Him. Wants those two to never tear, almost like a marriage. Wants you to wake up with Him, go to sleep with Him. Think about Him all day. Like Brother Michael said, a romance. Turn with me to John 17. He doesn't just want this intertwining to happen with Him. He wants it to happen with the people of God everywhere. Look at John 17, verse 20. Y'all there? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. The Hebrew idea behind one is ikad. It means multiples acting as one. If ten people do something, we would say they're one in one accord. A Hebrew would just say they're one. They're ikad. This is how, in their mind... There could be seven expressions of God, like seven spirits of God mentioned in Isaiah. But they prayed every day and said, He's one. He's the one God. He's the only God. He's my one God. All of those things. Israel was also called one, although it was many people. It was called Ehad, because they had one purpose, one destiny. (coughs) We're not polytheists. We believe in one God. But He'll express Himself in your lives in many ways. Right now, I want to talk about the way that He hammers your life so that His presence begins to stick to you, inside of you, outside of you, so that you begin to look more like Him and less like you. Father, just as You are in me and I am in You, may they also be in us. God is one, and now we have two. (laughs) You know, the kingdom is the only place that one plus one plus one equals one. 
Yeah, that's some God math for you. <laughs> May they also be in us. So I apologize if they're math teachers out here. I'm not mocking your profession. I'm just saying my God is above it. And I wish my seventh grade algebra teacher had known it. <laughs> I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them and you, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world may know. There is supposed to be a unity with us in the presence of the Father. There's supposed to be unity then between the presence of the Father, you, and your neighbor. This is what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. And love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. This is the unifying with the King of the universe through Jesus and also unifying with your neighbor. It's that we become one. One purpose. Adam's purpose was to go forth and subdue the earth. There are powers in opposition to God. Our job is to put them down, to spread the kingdom of God in a very real and literal way. In this church, we focus on it one life at a time. When the kingdom advances in one life, God's kingdom advances. We could work to attract a giant crowd, but if the kingdom didn't advance in a life, it would just be a giant crowd. What a community that is the body of Christ. Acacia wood always casts a shadow. That shadow is an important thing to dwell in. Psalm 121 says, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not allow the sun to smite you by day nor the moon by night. To us, that sounds like old-time chivalry. You know, God is carrying an umbrella. You know, the sun's not getting you, is it? You know, then at night, the moon's not blinding your eyes, is it? This was a matter of survival for the people that wrote it, though. You know, I've been in the Dead Sea. I got to float in it. It was a pretty amazing thing. I got to do it a couple times, actually. Thank you, Jesus. The sun there is an amazing thing. If you didn't have a way to block some of the sun's heat, by the end of the day, you'd be a crispy critter. Especially all you cracker white people. <laughs> Matthew would do better. <laughs> This was a real survival technique, shade. I want to tell you shade in the kingdom is a real survival technique. And before I get too far into that part of this message, you need to know something. There is no such thing as enjoying shade of this building from 20 miles away. There is no such thing as enjoying the shade of something that you are not in any proximity to. Have you ever been under an umbrella? No, no, let's make it more realistic. Husbands and wives, right? We got some of those in here? Right, we got three husbands. <laughs> Do we have some husbands and wives yeah. in here? Yeah. Okay, you ever been in that situation where you're doing the good thing, right? And so you walk over and you got the umbrella and you're here. He'll be my wife for a minute. <laughs> you you got you you got your spouse, you know, and so you got the umbrella and you're like, oh, here, let me cover you. But for whatever reason, more of that rain is falling off of the umbrella and on you as you're trying to cover them. Right. You ever been to a football game where they allowed umbrellas, yeah. right? There has to be something. I'm not going to demonstrate with Nolan. Sit down. There has to be an intertwining. There has to be an intertwining so that you both can fall under the same shade. Otherwise, you're distinct and one of you is outside of the shade. Turn with me to Psalm 91. There. Gold's got to be overlaid. 
inside and out. It's a hammering process to do it. It's almost as if by the end of it, you cannot tell the gold from the wood. They have intersected, and although they were distinct, separate things, through the miracle of God's new creation, they've become one. And when all of this is done properly, it begins to cast a shadow. When God's presence is in you and on you and through you, too, you cannot tell the, the difference between the two of you because you are God's son. It casts a shadow. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now to some of us, this has just become pretty language. Or maybe a Fred Hammond song. I, I, I don't know where you are with all of that. But this to the man who wrote it was a life-giving revelation from the Spirit of God. Anybody in here got a King James Bible? Okay, a bunch of you. It, it doesn't say the shelter of the Most High. Who, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, it says the secret place of the Most High. See, as Brother Michael was telling us, there is uh, the glory of God in concealing something, but when it's revealed, you become a king with Him. He takes you into Himself, and it's a secret to the rest of the world. But it's now revealed to you. The book of Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us. Own them, friends. Amen. When Jesus shows you something, don't go, oh, well, that was good. I got a revelation in church today. Own it. Amen. Make it a part of the fabric of your life. Right. Let God hammer it through circumstance into your life so that it is as much you. Yeah, that's right. Amen. As your right. name is. Yeah, man. There's another subject, by the way. We have names because, you know, it just sounded so pretty. <laughs> In the Bible, names have to do with your function. When I named my son Judah, I was prophesying over him. I wanted him to be praised. When I named Gabriel, I was prophesying over him. I wanted him to be one who stood in the presence of God. When I named my little Abigail, I was telling the truth about it. It's my father's joy. See, our God has given you the name. Mm -hmm. He's given you His name. He says, use That's it, right. use it, use it, be in it, be on it. It's, it's me, it's my function, it's my body of work, my authority, my reputation. Dwell in it. Amen. When you ask the Father for something in my name, sure. He'll give it to you. The churches thought that that was some magic incantation like, you know, abracadabra. No. It's not just words to say, in fact, Jesus is not even the right word. It's Yeshua. If you're in southern Israel, if you're in northern Israel, it's Yeshua. If you're in India, it's Yesu. If you're in Germany, it's Isu. But Jesus was Jewish. His mama called him Yeshua. Yeah. It's not about the sounds of the letters. It's about dwelling in the authority, body of work, character, reputation of Jesus. When you're doing that, ask anything in His name. Amen. But who can say they're doing it? The great televangelist with a 60 mile an hour haircut, $3,000 suit, and Learjet? Are you kidding me? What part of his life looks like Jesus? But he preaches well. Ozzy Osbourne sang well. What difference did that make? We've become a generation of people that admire talents instead of the giver of the talent. Yeah. 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 So shocked. Somebody with a great golf swing cheats on their life. Why does that shock you? Because I felt like I knew him by the way he hit a golf ball. Well, that's... Look, you're in the kiddie pool of Christianity. I'm sorry. 
So I'm not into the deep waters. A man is defined. He's defined by what he does in the dark. Integrity is what you do when no one is looking. Right. You better have some gold inside. The charismatic zoo that I come from is acting like idiots looking for gold dust on the floor. Are you kidding me? I'd rather have gold dust in my life. In my life. The gospel has been turned into a fisher of funds and an appealing to people's greed. The gospel is going forth into the nations. The real gospel teaching people to obey. Amen. Everything I commanded you. Mm-hmm. Baptizing them into the name, the body, work, character, authority, reputation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before Mandy and Kelsey leave, I'll try to get them to preach on that. They got a great revelation on it. It's unbelievable. The kind of thing you should write a book about. He who dwells in the shelter, the secret place of the Most High. Why is a shelter called a secret place? Why are they interchangeable? When you were a little kid, did you ever build a fort in the woods? Yeah. You didn't tell anybody but your closest buddies, did you? And then you go get in that little fort, right? What do you do? You're planning that. If they were coming from this way, you got your dirt cloths ready. They're coming from that way, there's the sleeping gun. Your mom told you not to take out the backyard, right? You'll shoot your eye. Our king is like a fortress, a fortress that we have found as we retreat into his presence. It's secret in the sense not everybody goes there very public in the sense that the whole world will unify against it and they cannot stop it. He who dwells in the shelter, by the way that word dwells, Shekinah, he who is intertwined, interchangeably, permanently intertwined in the shelter, the secret place of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. There is a relationship between the proximity of you to God's presence and the shadow that it has. You remember, you remember in the book of Joshua, man stole the gold wedge, hid it under his blankets, his whole family goes down. What's his name? You're right, he was Aiken too, wasn't he? They killed his whole family. He tried to dwell in the shadow without dwelling in the shelter. He was associated with the name of the God of Israel. Everybody would have said, that's an Israelite. It means prince with God. But did he act like it? No, he acted like a petty thief. If you are not dwelling inside who God is and his character, his reputation, if that is not being hammered into you through life's experiences, then you cannot expect to enjoy the shadow. It won't matter whether you drive to some great healing meeting, some great revival somewhere, there are no great revivals. There's a great God Amen. who has mercy on men. Amen. 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 Some men learn to swim in that mercy and others only learn to be sprinkled with it. Yeah. I suggest that you be the first. Mark 4. I promise. I, I rarely lie when I preach. I, I just give you this one, okay? Mark 4, verse 10. When he was all alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those everything outside is said in parables. What an amazing thing. The secret? Wouldn't you have thought he'd have said the secrets, plural? Not secrets, the little throat lozengers. Secrets, plural? Like, are you kidding me? There is only one secret? 
Yes, everything you ever wanted to know about God is found in the person of Jesus. He is the exact representation of God. He's, he's his radiance. Secret is not plural because there is only one secret. We must endure hammering to be inlaid with him, like intersecting yet multiple pieces called one. Dwelling in the secret place with him casts a shadow that protects us. As we are enveloped in him and he is in us, it acts like what Paul called a breastplate of righteousness. You ever wondered why Christians were given all of this armor in Ephesians 6 if we were supposed to hide in churches and dwell on pews? <laughs> like, you are the most well-armed army. You have the most high-tech weaponry in the world. You've got all there is. Now go hide under a hole. <laughs> and yet this is what we've done. Who's been taught more than the American church? Right. Who has access to more literature than the American church? Who has access to better teaching than the American church? To you who has been given much? Right. Boy, that's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. What do we do when my brothers in India that I just got back from visiting, what do we do with them? Maybe their whole lives they sold the book of John, but they're going out and raising the dead. How many Bible studies you heard on the book of John? Right. What are you doing with it? See, it's all about having his presence in us, working on the outside of us, being hammered in his presence. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 2, I'll read it to you. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, almost as if he was the secret. And him crucified, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Man, if he was writing this today, he'd have to say, I came to you after much deliberation, much surveying the area. I formed a search committee. They said that this was the right place to go. And after a demographic study and a questionnaire to determine what the people want preached, we decided to have a church planting among you. That's not what he did. He simply knew who Jesus was. He dwelt in him, and Jesus dwelt in him, so he went where the spirit wind blew him. And was it easy? How many times did he get beat up in Corinth? Was it easy? Look at the letters he had to write to Corinth. But was it golden? As Matthew Pero pointed out, the Corinthian church was never mentioned in the corrections of the book of Revelation. Right. Wow. It's almost like this hammering process is worth something. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that's what the gospel is supposed to rest on, not a light show. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Who can say that today? My faith is not resting on my pastor's wisdom, the superiority of the doctrine that of, of the believers where we gather. My faith rests on God's power demonstrated by a Spirit. Who can say that today? Friends, who even hears what the Spirit is saying today? Might require us to turn off American Idol for a little while. And the television program. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. There's only one place to get it. It's buried in Him. Those who love Him want it so badly that they would forsake water to get it. You know, one of my favorite questions is, do I have to move in those gifts? <laughs> no, you can have as little of God as you would like. You know, I've just given you a Ferrari. Do I have to drive it? 
Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I gave it to you. I wanted to punish you. You know, think about this things. Be hungry. Those them to do, they, they're moving this gift or that gift, right? Oh well, let's form our own special group. We're we're definitely better than them. Why? Because we have this gift. Are you kidding? How ridiculous is this? You have either found your life buried in him, lost your life and taken up his, or you haven't. One or the other. It's possible to do that moving in all the gifts or moving in none of them. But if you are buried in him, you would think he would be manifesting in your life more and more and more in all kind of various ways. Right. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Well, maybe that's the problem. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of the secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. This is not esoteric, friends. It's a secret because you have to want it. But it's available to anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. To be hammered with His gold means to be put in situations where in your weakness the Spirit prays. Where in your weakness the Spirit reveals words that Jesus has said. In your weakness, He helps you forgive someone. Come on, have you never been in a place where you would rather chop off your own head than have to look somebody in the eye and say, I'm sorry, but the love of God pulls it out of you and it compels you. And you find yourself with tears forgiving someone who hurt you. If you don't know what that is, you don't know what it is to be hammered in God's presence. Corey Tim Boone was asked when she felt the most closest to God in all of her life. There's no such word as most closest, but hey, like I said, real people preaching real messages. She was in Germany after the war. She's preaching about God's love. A man walks down the aisle says, Fraulein, I know that God has forgiven me, but I need to know that you have forgiven me. Said in her mind, she flashed back immediately to the concentration camp where her sister and most of her family died. This man had been one of the guards. She could remember her sister's naked, frail frame standing in line in front of her, and this man jabbing at her and jeering at her. She thought, no, I could never, but out of her belly came rivers of living water that said, my son, I forgive you. Shortly before she died, she gave the interview that said that was the closest moment she ever felt to Jesus. That is hammered gold, my friends. Amen. The description of the, the atonement cover, cherubim here, cherubim there, they're stretching upward, overshadowing something beneath. You know that Mary was overshadowed with God's presence, and this is how Jesus was born. Two angels stood on the side of two of a stone slab, stretching forth these heavenly creatures when John looked in that empty tomb. The power of the Father overshadowed the Son, and he came out of the grave. This is wood turning into gold, and we're all destined for it. But look what he had to go through to get it. What do you go through in his name? Paul said, 
Don't give me any trouble. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. Right. Who in here can say that? You know, when a craftsman works with something, whatever he's working with, it's going to have a mark from the craftsman on it. We're all agreed? Agreed. But occasionally, if you're like me, the created thing leaves a mark on the creator as well. I almost cut off my thumb with that board making this pulpit. Nearly every big building project I've ever done, they left a mark on me as well. I'm just curious. Is your life leaving any marks on God? What on earth did you mean by that? I mean, how would you like to be the man that astonished Jesus with his faith? Come on. <laughs> How'd you like to be the woman that recognized the hour was near? Yeah. And gave the best she had, wiping his feet with her hair and anointing him for burial. See, every once in a while we get a chance to give something back. But your lives have to be intertwined. Philippians 4 says something amazing. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Did you hear that? The secret of being content. Not the secrets. Well, I know this secret for this situation, that secret for that situation. No, that's esoteric knowledge, friends. That's like witchcraft. I've learned one secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, if he is in you and you are in him, there is nothing that you cannot do. The church has learned to quote this, put it on bumper stickers, but nobody is living it. Yeah. You don't have money you need to pay a bill tomorrow. What's it going to do? It's going to hurt your credit. It's going to hurt your reputation. Do you come unglued Do you fight amongst yourselves? Do you claim that you can do everything through Christ Jesus who strengthens you and then not only do nothing through Him, but also just abiding? You're backbiting each other? When all the Christians on church row here leave their churches today, how many will eat more pastor after church than fried chicken? What well, pastor went over. So-and-so is saying the solo was off-key. Blah, blah, blah. No, we need to be inlaid with gold. Come on, church, this is where the rubber meets the road. Amen. I want to tell you the truth. I can play Bible trivia with any of you. I can sit around and debate doctrine with the best of you, and we could all go to hell while doing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even the devil tried to spar with Jesus scripture-wise. He lost, but he tried. Your deeds should speak for themselves. Your life either says I'm intertwined in Him or it doesn't. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, purpose I am going to read this song, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Dwelling in the shelter, the secret place, means that you get to rest in the shadow. He becomes a fortress for you. You stop leaning on your own arm. This process is called hammered gold. i got to tell you a good story. I promise I'm not going to keep you for no reason. So if you give me a few minutes, I will give you more gold. Okay? Amen. It was the only survivor of a shipwreck, a frail little boy. In the middle of the night, the ship had wrecked and everyone was swept away by the waves. He found a rock and clung to it. His famous testimony is in the morning when the search parties found him and said, weren't you scared and didn't you tremble? All through the night, the little boy's answer was profound. He said, I surely did tremble, but the rock did not. Friends, have you found the rock that will not tremble? Right. 
Have you found the immovable object that is a fortress? Have you found the one thing that it doesn't matter whether you have clothes, whether you're well-fed or underfed, whether or not you're uh, fat or thin, whether or not you have or don't have the one thing that never trembles? I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This word trust in Psalm 91 is a Hebrew word. It's betak. If you want to spell it, it'd be B-E-Y and then T-A-C-H. It's that back of the throat kind of sound. Betak. It means something different than we normally term as faith. It's funny. Preachers always learn to define words out of the Greek, you know. And in Greek, the, the word for faith is pistis, yes, but the people speaking it were Hebrew. The people who were writing it were Hebrew. That's a cognate. What was the original word? And it doesn't make a dime's difference, except that even in the beginning, we've ignored the roots of the faith. Betak means to trust, to have confidence or be confident, to be bold, to be secure, to make something secure, to feel safe or to be carefree. I didn't define that. A Hebrew lexicon defined that. Who would describe their, their walking with God? as trusting Him, totally confident in Him, bold, secure, making others secure, safe and carefree. Come on, who in the church does not have a pity party these days? Who in here has not fought for the chance to be a victim? Well, you just don't know all I've been through. You're, you're right. Were you crucified? Right. Yeah, you shed blood for the gospel, right? No, none of those things. Well, go put on some big boy underclothes and come back. Right? Mm -hmm. Our God calls us to a place where we would consider Him a fortress, and it makes us have confidence, bold, secure, safe, care-free. Can you picture Jesus fretting? No. <laughs> Why not? Well, He was perfect. Yes, and you wear His name. Right. Psalm 46, Korah's sons ran off before he got nailed. <laughs> I mean, Korah, he, he goes down in history as the guy who the earth swallowed. And Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Come on, saints. If the earth fell away all around you, you need to be bold. So, but I, I don't want to die. You're supposed to have died the moment you came into Christ. Right. Now we're quibbling over details. Let's, I guess we need to finish Psalm 91. It's getting to be that time. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. I don't have time to teach about the Talit and Brother Brandon who happens to be a fowler, Brandon Fowler. <laughs> Uh, taught about it already. <laughs> this means when you're under His covering, the Hebrews pictured God covering them with His prayer shawl like a mother hen would cover her chicks. When you're under that, you're protected from everything else. This is what it means to dwell in the shelter. How, how appropriate that the enemy is called uh, Fowler's snare in that. 
God often uses a series of perilous events to train his people. This is the hammering soul. I quoted D.L. Moody the other day, and in a nutshell, one of the things D.L. Moody said that I liked so much was, tell me, uh, you don't like the way I do it, how do you do it? The answer was, I don't. He said, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Well, I have fallen in love with D.L. Moody, so here comes another quote. Trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in your reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. Luther gave the same testimony when he said, I have held many things in my hand and I have lost them all. But that which I put in his hand, I have for an eternity. Friends, we need to put our life in the secret place with him. We need to give up all of this fighting and frustration, worry, and simply do what He tells us to do. Amen. I'm going to be honest, I'm your pastor, so I know. Some of you are fighting through difficulties and doing very well. Some of you are fighting to be free from difficulties, though. We'll not move forward with what God has for you because you are terrified that it's different than your will. You need to know something. Until your will is lost in His... You do not dwell in the shelter and receive the benefit of the shadow. In our sweet, pretty Christian theology now, we're always in a position where we say, well, if you simply say the right thing, it's all good. Paul told the Corinthian church, there's a reason some of you are sick and dying. I'm not throwing stones at a single sick person in here. I'm talking about a different kind of sickness, actually fear that has so gripped the people of God that we refuse to be the people of God. Yeah. Fear of what people think, fear of what we have or don't have, fear of what it will cost me. Are you kidding me? The kingdom of God is like a man who found a pearl on the field, went and sold everything he had just to obtain the pearl. Yeah. You hang on to your stuff, you don't have him. Better lose it all. He's worth it. Yeah. He is so worth it like a lover that you could be sick and with thirst for. Search a city all day and night just to hope to get a glimpse of it. He's worth climbing a sycamore fig tree so that you can see. The song says he's the fairest of 10,000. Psalm 91 verse 5. You will not fear the terror of night. He doesn't say it won't be there. He says you will not fear. Ten times the book of Deuteronomy says, do not be afraid, and countless hundreds of times it appears in the Word. And yet I can think of no better word that describes the average Christian in the average church than afraid. There is one word that might work better. Greedy. Selfish. Actually, I can think of a lot of words now, so we're going to leave that subject. <laughs> you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. This sounds like someone who is thoroughly embattled all around and yet provided for. This is the hammering of God's presence. And yet we sit around and debate whether or not God would beat His bride, whether or not the church could be here for tribulation, and all of these ridiculous things. Amen. You were meant to be surrounded on every side and yet provided for from heaven. 
You were meant to have a life that the enemy was trying to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. But God had given you everything you needed and whatever was taken from you, you didn't need. Somebody wants your cloak, give him your shoes too, Jesus said. No carefree because you trust Him. Somebody wants your coat now, we shoot. You know, run them over in the car. Fight to protect what you have. Because we all know that the stuff we have is what's important. The <laughs> Bible says there doesn't, it doesn't say there won't be trouble. It says you won't need to fear it. In fact, you may even learn to be content embracing the process of hammered gold. Psalm 56 verse 3 is a great verse. When I'm afraid, I will trust you. Isn't that a great one-liner? Yeah. We don't have to deny the fact that we're afraid. We just have to do something about it. I'm afraid, Lord, but I'm going to do it anyway. Amen. I'm moving into full-time ministry. It's going to happen no later than January 1st. I want you to know I'm afraid. Jen is afraid. I think the p are afraid for us. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. <coughs> Why? Because that's where the Spirit of God is compelling us. If you ever get to a place where you won't move because of fear, you're starting to put yourself outside of the shadow. Yeah. Psalm 34, Matt sang about it today many times. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, 4. <laughs> you sang it, didn't you? Oh, come on. You sang it, didn't you? Yes. You sang it good. Huh? Jen sings pretty with it too, doesn't she? Matt sings pretty. Kelsey, amazing. We do a good job singing it. How are we doing living it? Right. The devil just scares me, you know. Matt asked a lady one time who was a pastor, uh, a youth pastor, I need to know more about spiritual warfare. I'm having weird dreams and all kinds of stuff's happening. She goes, oh, don't talk about that. That gives me the chills. Good. Is there a ditch you could lead me in somewhere around here? Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. The hammering of gold. Our job is to acknowledge God in our weakness. And let him deliver us. Not to ignore that we're in trouble. None of those things. I skipped over 9 through 13, all the things you're supposed to tread on if you make Him your dwelling. You need to consider maybe that if you're not treading on those things, maybe the problem is not with God. Right. Maybe the problem is that you're not close enough to the power source. Maybe one of the ways to best summarize this, Pilate's having problems. He's receiving feedback from the control tower. So once you make your approach at such and such heading, at such and such speed, the pilot says, wait, 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 there's a hole there. Control tower says, why don't you take care of the instructions and we'll take care of the obstructions. This is God's message to you. Quit telling him the reasons you cannot do what he has told you to do. Right. Let him take care of the obstructions. You take care of following the instructions. Let's be honest. When you see a verse, you know some of those verses I'm talking about. Unless you sell everything. Those kind of verses. It's your very first thought. Yeah, but. Right. 
Yeah, but go find ten commentaries to tell you why it doesn't apply to you. <laughs> I'd like to throw away your commentaries for a minute and just consider if this does apply to me, what does it look like? Right. Lord, I'm not worried about all the things that are in the way of doing it. I'm just worried that I'm doing exactly what you want. You may find out it doesn't apply to you at this moment in time, but what if it does? Isn't that worth considering? With the child of God, the word is our instructions. God will take care of all of the obstructions. It's ours to obey the instructions of the word of God. Psalm 91, the last verse, says this. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, salvation is not an experience that takes 30 seconds at an altar. That's right. It is a lifetime of having your life intertwined with his life. Going through the hammering process of life so that, as Peter said, his divine nature can be mixed with you. You're put in right standing. His nature is poured in and out. Rivers of living water will flow from you. The hammering process of constant trouble and constant divine deliverance has a way of intertwining permanently, shikana, dwelling our lives with him. It overlays us with gold, which is his divine presence, so that although we are multiple peoples in him, we are one with each other and one with him. Your every effort must be to pursue him into the shelter or secret place so that you're ex- you experience the overshadowing of the Almighty. Like the cherubim on the cover, or Mary in the Incarnation, what becomes possible if what Paul says is true and Christ is born in you? What becomes possible? When he overshadowed Jesus, he came out of the grave. When he overshadowed Mary, Jesus was born. What happens when he actually overshadows you? Mm-hmm. You might be able to say all things are possible for him who believes. Y'all stand to your feet. Some of you are very familiar with our ministry, some not so much. Some of you we see every week, some we see sporadically. I'm not interested in building a kingdom with men. I don't want a denomination and I don't want a mega church. I just want those that God has given us. We see you three times in a row, we consider that you're a member. If there's something here that you see that is out of line with God's word, we try to have no ego in the matter. We want you to tell us. We'll move in any direction that we possibly can to get better in line with God's Word. And we expect something of every one of you. Let's take seriously, seriously the call of Jesus to lose all. Not nearly as much talking about material things, although that's part of it. I'm talking about setting aside your agenda and saying, Lord, what do you want for my life? If I'd had my way, I would be a football coach and a social studies or history teacher. What a waste. What a waste. That's not what God called me to. That's what Eric called himself to. I would have spent my life building the outer man. 
have found security in that. Matthew got born again and found a pawn shop style guitar. Began to worship and pray for me. I got born again. And God began to show us our destinies and that's why we're here. But this is no longer about Matthew and Eric. It becomes much, much, much more about you and what you're doing. Some of you will go. Some of you will stay. And we're going to bless it all. We're going to trust that God will give us what we need. Our goal is that whether in Arkansas or Louisiana or Texas, we're doing God's will. Whether in Israel, India, Brazil, Romania, all those places we support missionaries. That we're doing God's will. So that when we unite on that day, we will have all completed our part of the puzzle. And it will be beautiful. I'm not going to have an emotional altar call. I'm going to pray and release you with the thought of examine your life. Are you fighting to stay in the process or to get out of it? <clears throat> you can be carefree and endure literal hell on earth because you have heaven within. I promise that weren't true Christians around the world would not be Christian. Don't let apathy lie to you. Don't let affluence cause apathy to lie to you. Our King's given us work to do when your lives are important. They just are. They just are. As you preach on Wednesday nights, you see you can be used to Jesus. As you witness in grocery stores, you'll see. We have a role. It's our job to advance the kingdom. Bring somebody Wednesday. Mighty God, Lord, we love you. We love you more than we love our wristwatches or the clock on the back of the wall. Holy One, we ask now that as your Spirit is within us and moving in this group of people, Lord, that you would correct, you would rebuke, and you would encourage, that you would train your church in righteousness. I want to confess you have superstars here. Unlimited potential with you working through these people. Holy God, we ask that you'd make our hearts pliable in your presence. That every man, woman, and child in this room would accomplish all that you have called them to do. What's been prepared in advance for them to do, Lord, <laughs> to you be all glory all power in this life and the one to come. And the name of Yeshua, who is our Messiah, we say, Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, we love you. And uh, Monday night, I start Ephesians at Foundations, if you want to come to Foundations. Uh, that is always a great book.